This is episode 247 of the Books, Shows, Tunes, and Mad Acts podcast. This episode really can't be titled anything other than Books, Shows, Tunes, and Mad Acts with Steve Boyle and Webb Wilder, the last of the full-grown men. Welcome to Books, Shows, Tunes, and Mad Acts, the show about stuff we like. I'm your host, Jennifer Crittenden, and sometimes I'm lucky enough to be joined by my co-host, Bill Aho, who has an ear for good music and an eye for the extraordinary. Books, Shows, Tunes, and Mad Acts is brought to you by Discreet Guide, the training company for improving your speaking and writing skills. We hope you enjoy the show. I am absolutely delighted to have two wonderful gentlemen on the show today with me. I have Webb Wilder, who some of you may know, and Steve Boyle, who you're going to learn a lot about because he's had this enormous life and has done so many things. So welcome to the show, Webb and Steve. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Okay, first thing I have to show you is this. If I can get it on camera. The audience can't see this, but you're uh, you guys can, so you'll explain to them what I've got. Da, 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 da. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to do this with my funny camera. Can you see it? Oh. It appears to be a vintage Web Wilder t-shirt. Yes. Wow, you're good, because I could hardly even see that myself. And then it's got the Web Wilder credo on the back. Natch. And you would be surprised how often this uh, credo comes to mind. Uh, work hard, rock hard, eat hard, sleep hard, grow big, wear glasses if you need them. The Web Wilder credo. Yeah, so I was uh, so excited that I still had this shirt and could show it to you. I'm impressed that you have it at all. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's near and dear to my heart. But let me start by giving a little bit of background for the two of you, for the audience. You can probably guess from that T-shirt that Webb Wilder uh, is a musician and has been performing for several decades. I'll just uh, read a little bit of his bio. He's well known as an electrifying performer, creating straight ahead rock and roll with surf guitar of the ventures and twang of Dwayne Eddy, drawing on the feel of blues, R&B, country, rockabilly, and film noir. His sound also incorporates influence from Americana music as well as from the British invasion. He's been signed to major labels and worked with independent labels. He's hosted a radio show for Sirius Radio, appeared as an actor in Peter Bogdanovich's 1993 film, The Thing Called Love. I didn't even know that. It's just amazing, all these different things you guys have done. And is currently the afternoon shift disc jockey for the radio station WMOTFM. And then for Steve Boyle, who has an equally complex uh, background, he's an award-winning music television producer for a wide variety of recording artists from classic rock stars such as the Beach Boys, Don McLean, Grand Funk Railroad, to classic country artists such as Garth Brooks, Alabama, Eddie Rabbit, and John Anderson. Steve's work as producer, director, writer, editor has aired on a whole bunch of places. I won't read those all off. Uh, but most notably, Steve has received over 60 regional, national, and international awards for his work in television, including Emmys, Addies, and dozens of international film festival awards, including gold at the 2020 Houston International Film Festival and official selection at the 2020 Moscow International Short Film Festival. He's also been in the running for Nashville CMA Music Video Director of the Year three years in a row. So yeah, so great to have the two of you on the show, such accomplished people. And I hope the audience can keep up with everything that's happening because this is a fairly complicated uh, scenario. So we're actually here to talk about two books. Well, we're here to talk about everything, life and so on. But more specifically, I did want to talk about these two books. All right. So what they are is two Web Wilder mysteries. And the book that I have is quite clever. It's got one book if you read it in one direction, and then you can flip 
the book over and read it in the other direction, and it's a different story. So the two stories, the first one is called The Doll, and then the second one, or maybe I have these in reverse order. No, it's the it's Moleman is the first story, and the doll is the second one. Okay, gotcha. And then there's a and yes, it can be confusing considering the way it's titled. Yeah. So these are actually co-written by Steve and also Shane Caldwell, but the the books themselves star, so to speak, Webb Wilder. So he plays the protagonist in these two stories. Okay, so let's start with just explaining some of what's happening here. So tell me what started the idea of doing a book. Well, uh, the book thing picks up with Steve. What the events that led up to it, I, I guess, would be that um, going way, way, way back uh, until about 1981, I was in an extremely short film. It was 13 minutes long. It was a student film at the time uh, called Web Wilder Private Eye. You know, it had some coast-to-coast airplay on cable television on the USA Network on a program called Night Flight. And um, I didn't think that much of it, but it sort of gave me a look, really, because, you know, I I certainly don't look like the MTV central casting rock star guy. And and, uh, I thought, well, this is, you know, sort of the Rick Nielsen and Cheap Trick anti-hero thing. He did it in a different way, but um, I thought, well, I can wear this hat and these glasses and these dowdy clothes and uh, front a band. And so I was in Mississippi. I'm from Mississippi and had been in bands, moved to Nashville, and it was pretty hard to get um, reconnoitered, you know, with a new band and new friends and acquaintances and everything. And we started performing as Webb Wilder and the Beat Necks, which is an impossible bad choice name for a band because... <laughs> Nobody ever says it right. And um, <laughs> so and we're stuck with it. So um, so so fast forward, you know, this inspired Steve and Shane Caldwell, who is easily the funniest man in Nashville for the pulp novel sort of thing, because it was a tongue in cheek hillbilly private eye thing, sort of, sort of. Well, it, it, it hillbilly was really a misnomer, but but it was certainly rural and folksy. The character is was and uh, but you know it, I think the film you know owed debts to Andy Griffith and Raymond Chandler and uh, I don't know, but um, but so I thought that was a neat idea and um, Steve Steve could probably clear some of this up because there was we had the idea of a radio play and all sorts of stuff in the mix. Well, yeah. I'm going to go back to your T-shirt, Jennifer. Uh, When that album came out, it came from Nashville. I had just moved into Nashville myself. It was being played to death on local radio to the point, uh, there was a song called Poolside to the point where I thought that was a national hit. (laughs) And it was, and so I was a fan. There was something called City Without a Subway happening. And the, the rock artists were trying to get themselves noticed because country had just swamped them obviously and and they created this this series of shows and i got involved in that and it really it was an excuse to meet webb and and a few other people too uh since i was quasi new in town within a few years after that in the 80s into the early 90s i wound up as uh i created a music video television network for hard rock cafe corporate this played to heart within hard rocks around the world it still does which is strange it's kind of fun to see but created that in the early to mid nineties and told them I was, you know, we need to start doing some promotion within this to let people know that this is unique programming to what you're watching. And uh, they said two things to me. This was the first thing they said is fine. You can do commercials, but we want anti-commercial commercials. And that's all I said. I got to figure it out from there. And the other was you can't use rock stars yet. We want to test it. So I used friends and uh, in, in the anti-commercial commercials for me, I just translated it as just quirky little scenarios of stuff. And I stick a logo at the end of it, mm-hmm. which wound up strangely enough to be a genre of promotion for ESPN and MTV and TBS and folks like that in the late nineties. Uh, and actually ESPN's one of their shows used it for like that format for 20 years. One of the things we did within those promos was uh, I brought in the Web Wilder detective thing for the fun of it. And uh, Shane Caldwell also had a bunch of characters in there as well. While we were doing that, I was thinking, why don't we go further with the detective thing? And mm. let's let's see what we can do now to make it go go further. So since the three of us agreed on that, I pitched the concept to Hard Rock Cafe Corporate to back it. And they said, yes, CEO said, yes, who my CEO is my boss, second boss. And so he said, give me two scripts. 
So Shane and I sent, along with Webb's input, sat down and wrote Mole Men and the Doll as television scripts. Oh. Yes. And so as we were wrapping that up, uh, the CEO said, I can't stand reading scripts. They're hard to read, which is true. Scripts are hard to read. Right. He goes, can you make it a narrative? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, sure. We'll rewrite it as a narrative. Yeah. And so, uh, and it, and I just thought, well, if he really wants it as a book, I'm just going to print it up as a book. Mm -hmm. So printed it up as a book, put the pitch material together because he was going to bring in other corporations and all that for this television series. And by the time I'm done, which didn't take that long, he quit. And there was a new CEO and typical, yes, of course. And then typical corporate America, the new CEO doesn't want anything to do with what the old CEO had going. So right. it, that was it. It was shelved. So I thought this, this is too good an idea. It can't shelve. I'm going to pitch it to radio because I loved fire sign theaters, Nick danger kind of yeah. thing. And, yeah, yeah. And, it, and I thought, well, this is already a script. It's not much to change it to radio and pitched it to PRI and NPR. Both of which said, yeah, we like the idea, but um, we need a pilot, but we, we want a sample show. And that's standard operating procedure for, for television and for radio. And I was like, okay, fine. So put together a two-hour radio pilot special uh, based on the first story called Mole Men. And by the way, the name of the series is called Web Wilder, Last of the Full Grown Men. That's the series. And then the one particular story was Mole Men. And the other story in this case was the doll, but we do moment and brought in guest stars that, you know, we all, some folks we know around town and it was, it was fun. It was Shane brought in George Lindsay, who was played Goober on the Andy Griffith show. I brought in, uh, uh, Felix Cavallari from the rascals who in the middle of all this had to leave to go be inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame and came back to finish up his part. Kathy Matea, country music artist, who's extremely well known here around town, Jimmy Griffin, uh, from Bread, uh, you may know him from there. In fact, he's got an Oscar for winning song of the year for, for the song For All We Know. Who else? Uh, uh, jo Joan L. Mosser, still to this day, a great voice here in Nashville, a blues rock uh, artist uh, who was also in a band called the New Maroons for a short time with Don Was. And the back and the drummer in the band was Ringo Starr. I know. So, so and uh, Webb, who am I missing? Anybody? I was I was thinking uh, who else we might have. Uh, we certainly have Shane, who is well. Brilliant. Shane Caldwell, yes. Shane, who co-wrote this, was also the bad guy in this. And then, of course, Webb is playing Webb. That's that's who I'm missing. So, uh, so <laughs> maybe all the musical artists, unless we're really making a grave error here. But yeah. And then, of course, Jim Hoke was the music director on this and created an original soundtrack to the whole thing. This and he's an amazing multi instrumentalist maestro, indescribable talent, <laughs> and and plays on. Paul McCartney's not last album, the album before. So these, so everyone's a player and, and, mm -hmm. and, it, and so it sounds like an old, you know, this lounge, the ultra lounge music soundtrack along with sound effects and all these actors and the story that's got this beginning, middle and end, as well as for the radio show, it's got these quirky little interviews with the, all the stars and all this. It's kind of fun. And we get it together within 90 days, send it off to both PRI and NPR. And in that short amount of time, they had changed their format to all classical and news. And this is a famous time for both of them, which was a big mistake they discovered within a year or so. So at that point, it was like, okay, there's no room for us. The whole thing was shelved. This is 1998. Yeah. The ground is always moving under your feet. Yeah. That is That's true. It. So um, fast forward to the, to, and, and by the way, a year or so later, I get a call from PRI saying, oh, we changed our format back to where it was. We're interested. And it was like, no, forget it. Everyone's gone doing their own thing. You can't get it together. But come COVID, I went through my archives and found all this stuff. Ah, this and is all because of this, COVID. Yes, oh. because, uh, you know, I'm working, but I'm working at home with this. You know, mm -hmm. it's I got plenty of time and I was trying to organize stuff. And I was like, this can't be wasted. Mm -hmm. If I croak tomorrow, my kids aren't going to know what to do with this. <laughs> I don't our so uh, so tried it one more time and uh WMOT the, the the Roots Rock radio station here in Nashville did the premiere which was just before Christmas last year. Oh okay. Well I had permission to go national with it but to discover of course talking to program directors 
and such uh, in radio at that time of year is forget it, they're not there. I got nothing but bounce backs on on vacation, talk to you in mid-January, mid-February. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then got busy. So what's going to happen is come later this summer, uh, the pitch will go back to public radio nationally to see if anyone's interested in picking up the radios as a special, figuring the holidays would be a good time for this and uh, see what happens from there. Otherwise, the book is out and the book has been out. You can pick it up on at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, those kind of folks uh, all have it. You can catch it online. One thing we never had before, too, is now we have the audio book, books. True enough. Audiobook as well, which Webb has been kind enough to read both stories. And uh, you can get that at Google Play or Nook, which is Barnes & Noble Online, and Apple iTunes. And I, I felt good about that because in the interim, I had done a bunch of audiobooks. I've done the uh, most recent Willie Nelson book and oh. some other uh, books. You know, I did one that uh, John Carter Cash wrote about his mother, June Carter Cash, and um, um, I read Johnny Cash's uh, historical novel about the uh, Apostle Paul. So I had some experience, right? I, d- I don't know. I, I don't know how many people have checked out the audio books of the uh, Last of the Full Grown Men books, but I, but, um, I did a better job than I would have done back in the day, I think. So uh, I'm kind of proud of them. Yeah, I was extremely impressed with your narration when I listened to it. It was like, it's not that easy to read this particular book, just the the sentences are long and because it is noir. Well, and you have to, you know, unlike the other books I've read, uh, you know, it's character driven mm. and you have to sort of uh, split some differences on uh, the narrative versus being in character and then the other people's characters. And really, if I put a big magnifying glass to that, I might have even done that differently now. But but I still thought it was fun, and I think it will be fun for anyone who listens to it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I'm going to try and uh, put a circle around this a little bit because there are so many themes that run through this particular style that all coalesce around the radio show, the narration, Web Wilder's music, the the books. And so if you enjoy that style, all of this is of interest, at least it is to me. So I so much enjoyed the Hard Rock Cafe commercials because of the, the style. And, and it's not just that it's noir, it is that it's also quirky. And also that there are often some extraterrestrial elements to it, um, just like it came from Nashville does. And so, you know, there's sort of these themes that go all the way from the 80s up until now. It's really terrific. I mean, the whole thing is just fascinating from from soup to nuts. And I'm so excited to see where it goes from here because it just keeps going and going. It's like a thread that you pull that, that uh, just keeps going. So can you talk a little bit about that style and what contributes to giving us this kind of quirky feel, maybe especially from the Hard Rock Cafe commercials. Like, how did you delve into that? And then how did you incorporate that into the stories? Well, the the Hard Rock stuff was really just playing the detective character, except tongue in cheek. And the book continues at that, and the stories continue with that way too, except with a bazillion pop culture references. And there's a few reasons for that. One is which, it, 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 you know, you as the the your viewer or the reader will relate to that because everyone relates to all this stuff that we grew up with or is all around us even today. The other is that's actually kind of how we talked, especially back then. We were always referring to this sort of stuff. And when you and Shane got together, I mean, he's a he's clearly a was a child who watched too much television, <laughs> you know. Oh, in a big way. Yeah. So he had all the references, and you did too. And you're right. And in fact, for that matter, just to give Shane credit, Shane did the bulk of the writing on the book itself. If you read the books, they're both style wise, they're both a little different. Mole Man reads kind of like a script. Mm-hmm. But the doll reads a bit more like a book, if that makes any sense. Um, if you're if you're into the specific style, you'll get that. But if you're not, it's just a read. Yeah, I don't think I picked up on that. But yeah, they're super fun. Oh well, that's that's okay. I'm glad. If you didn't, uh-huh. that's even better. But it was done like that on purpose because I was we were doing some testing. Uh-huh. In fact, for that matter, if you pick up the book, there's a bit of the third story in there, Psychotronic Serenade. 
What a great name. <laughs> with uh, Louis, the baseball, the Canadian baseball player, Louis Lacote, who is mentioned in The Doll. So all these wow. strings of... I know. It's all connected. All, all these connected. little stories are in there. Yeah, yeah. It is super fun. Oh, I should have mentioned, actually, at the beginning, the reason that I even found this book was because I happened to be looking at some book award uh, uh, pages on a website. And... It had won an award. So the thing that I saw was actually the series name first, right? Webb Wilder, Last of the Full Grown Men. And I was like, Webb Wilder, what the heck? So then I ordered the book to see what was going on with all of this. And yeah, then one thing led to another, but it, it won an award, this book. It won six awards. Oh my gosh. It won an NIEA award, which is kind of a big deal. Uh, it won a BIBA award for best novella, and, which is also a big deal, and won a bunch of other uh, Los Angeles Book Festival, the New England Book Festival, the Royal Dragonfly Book Award, the Firebird Award, I think is what it is. Yeah. And so it, 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 because it's a quirky, easy read series of fun novellas, uh, it's it seemed to get a bit of a following. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very accessible. It's fun. It's quirky. Yeah, there's lots of uh, great stuff with that. There's also a huge amount of work that has gone into documenting all of this, you know, the information that you have sent me, Steve. So talk a little bit about the, I mean, you've explained how the book came to be during the pandemic, but who is doing all of this work creating the websites, driving the radio show. I mean, how is that all happening? Steve Boyle. <laughs> My hat is off to you. I get bored easily. What can I tell you? I, I just I just do all these crazy things. But I actually do a lot of this stuff for a living. So for me to you put to, you put together all this media is just something I do. So it's kind of and 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 like I, it yeah, it was pandemic. So it wasn't like I was fully booked. Nobody was fully booked. All the projects I had that were supposed to be going on were all canceled, and all I had were small projects. So uh, it was easy enough for me to knock out all this media. I, I mean, I see all your skills kind of coming together in this, not just the the writing and the production, but also all the visual uh, elements of it. So, yeah, I'm not sure what all will be available to the public, but... It's really fun to kind of dive into all this and then see um, the music videos that you've done over the years. And then, of course, Webb's uh, long history with music. But all of these things really seem to be coalescing now to to produce this sort of array of things to consume, right? Whether it's visual or audio or reading. So it's really fun to see it all come together like that. It, it's it's really a cool project. Well, thanks. If if anyone wants to go to webwilderlastofthefullgrownmen.com, I know the world's longest website name, uh, you'll find all that media and all those crazy things there. It's a lot to, lot to take in. There's a lot of good information there. Steve did a good job organizing that, creating that. Okay. So uh, how fun is it to play this character, Webb? Uh, it's fun. And, um, you know, uh, going way back, you know, to coming off the little student film years ago and then coming to Nashville and starting this Roots Rock thing where I fronted the band in that hat and glasses, I, I think I really um, still thought I needed to really be that character. And I, I admire artists who never break character, you know, like Pee Wee Herman or somebody, but, uh, or, you know, Paul Rubens as Pee Wee mm -hmm. Herman. Mm -hmm. But over the years, having, having done the musical thing in a million live shows and, you know, 11 records or whatever, I got a little more of a, a relaxed fit attitude for it. But, but I think what I've realized and told people it's true is that I drew a lot of those things from the character, from myself and from the Mississippi characters I grew up around, you know, and, and certainly Bobby Field, who I grew up with, who has an incredibly creative mind, who uh, was a big force behind the film and, and all the, a lot of the songs I've recorded and produced a lot of the records, but uh, my own family and relatives. And then as the years went on, I think I became more like the character and then the character became more like me. So I don't really feel like I'm uh, as an entertainer, live entertainer. I don't feel like I'm really playing a character so much but um 
going back to these books, I had to readdress that. And um, I think, you know, you can see how the character can go a lot of ways. You know, um, the vocal delivery uh, originally uh, was my my inspiration was remember Fess Parker, who played Daniel Boone and I think Davy Crockett, too. He was like, yes, ma'am. And he was very sonorous. You know, and I think I hear the early live recordings of the band and I drifted a little bit into an Elvis speak. And then uh, by the time we did this film called Horror Hayride, which got less notoriety, I um, but we spent a lot more money on it. I uh, the character became a little more acerbic and sardonic, and it was a little bit more like Jerry Lee Lewis, who uh, is the dark angel of rock and roll, you know. So I don't even know if that answers your question, but <laughs> Uh, it was, but, but readdressing these books put me back in the mind of the character itself. Yeah. Yeah. Like all of us, it evolves, right? Right. There is something that's really compelling about this. I was thinking, you know, this Nick Danger, right? From Firesign Theater. And also remember the radio shows. Um, I'm a little bit too young to have really experienced that completely, but I remember there was the shadow I mm-hmm. think it was called on the radio. Mm-hmm. There might have been another one. I'm, and you get that same feeling when you get involved with the, these uh, projects. I don't know what it is, but there's something really attractive about about it, right? We there's something that's tapping into our reptile brain or something that makes these things really fun, and we some of that uh, has shown up in your music too. This combination of of mi- of both mystery but also familiar. Maybe it's maybe it's the uh, accessibility of the anti-hero. I mean, if you think about Humphrey Bogart as Philip Marlowe, you know, you you almost feel like you could know that guy or whatever. In other words, he's not glamorous and he he's accessible. People walk right into his office. He's not making a lot of money. So mm-hmm. he's just another schlub in a lot of ways, but then again, when you think about it a little further, you go that's pretty unusual, you know. <laughs> this guy's mm-hmm. making a living as a private eye, or he's whether he's making a living or not. He's that's the trade he's plying, you know. And he's a solitary, unmarried, no children uh, guy who can get hit in the head with a pistol innumerable times and, and never go to the hospital, you know, and all that. There's a certain life perspective too that we get from these guys, right? This sort of sardonic view of modern life, right? That it's it's a little bit cynical, but it's not. It's not abrasively so, right? It's just, yeah, yeah that's just how life is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, there's something that, that maybe it's that, right? That's so universal uh, um, that attracts us to that. Because there's maybe a part of us that also kind of views the world that way. So it's like, yeah. I just, I, I'm a big Turner um, movie classics uh, fan, and I have a, as my friend pointed out, now in the modern world, everyone has a 45-second attention span, and I've always been guilty. I'm sure I've been ADD since the first grade or something, but I recently saw the ending, rather than the whole movie, basically, of this great film noir film that I'm sure Steve is familiar with, with Robert Mitchum and Jane Greer called Out of the Past. Uh-huh. And it's really atypical and, you know... It's too complicated to explain the ending, but the ending is not like any other movie ending I've ever seen. And Robert Mitchum is sort of with the bad girl, but he goes back to the good girl and says, I'm going to be back for you. But then he goes out in a fiery crash with the bad girl, which leaves it unknown whether he was really going to go back to the good girl or not. And so the good girl makes the most of things back to your point, like it's really like life and goes with the guy that she grew up with happily or sort of uh, resignedly or something, you know, I don't know. I thought that was pretty interesting and certainly uh, unglamorous, really. Yeah. I mean, they often are morally ambiguous, right? And of course there's the humor, right? There's a lot of humor in Mulman and the doll, right? Um, and, a and lot. A, yeah. Uh-huh. So there's oh, that yeah. too, right? Yeah. A, a certain kind of humor, sort of this dark. Oh yeah, we it doesn't carry the gravitas of out of the past. No, oh. <laughs> yeah, but morally ambiguous, right? And then yeah. I, I, you know, I sent you guys the link of the um, article of all this stuff falling from space down into people's private property as we're getting more, more traffic up there. Apparently, 
Um, so I've read at least two incidences of that. And that's one of the things that happens in mole men. And so I was thinking, you know, these, we think of these things maybe as being more retro, but, but maybe they're actually becoming more and more relevant because stranger and stranger things are happening. <laughs> What's old is new again is what happens. So. Well, and there's no accounting for individual uh, eccentricity or craziness. And, and that shows up in, in the last of the full grown men books, you know, with the guy who's first reporting to the character of Webb Wilder about the strange sightings that he saw, you know, uh, that lead to the whole mole men caper unraveling. That guy's kind of a, a gyro gear loose, um, uh -huh. nut, you know? <laughs> yeah. Although, right. They treat him as though he's completely insane, but then it turns out that Actually, I mean, it's a little bit like the conspiracy theorists, right? Yeah. They were like, oh, you're totally insane. Then it's like, oh, well, maybe you were a little bit right, actually. <laughs> well, you know, you just turn on the local evening news and or national news and you hear people talking the things they think and the things they believe and and or the way they live their lives. And uh, it's a world full of individuals, you know, and I mean, uh, it's good and bad, of course. So to switch gears, what drove the plot? behind the doll shane and i sitting having dinner somewhere we're, oh. we're just coming into all sorts of different ideas actually there are we outlined 10 stories oh my. and uh at the end we chose uh moleman and the doll as the first two and psychotronic serenade i think was the the third one that was a runner-up uh to flesh out the doll is kind of fun in that there's the bad guys are two moms of all people, and it's a fight over a Barbie doll, but not just any Barbie doll. No, it's a special one, a Jackie Kennedy one. Uh, and this is, of course, before 1963 when all this was happening. And uh, what happens to the doll being hacked in half and, and, and how their kids are involved in all this sort of stuff. And then there's, of course, a twist at the end, a pretty big one. So, and, and again, it's bringing more pop culture stuff in, if for no other reason, the Barbie doll and all the other character locations. I think one of the, the moms has an, uh, an art gallery. Uh, what's the name? I'm trying to think of the art gallery. Oh, the, the, uh, the crisp gallery of fine pop and kinetic art. I mean, how's that for a title? It goes along with last of the full grown men. <laughs> and, uh, so again, more pop culture stuff, which is a lot of fun. But the hack a Barbie doll in half was, and and then that being the 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 reason for all this trouble, is uh, and and poor old Webb trying to, and the character trying to trying to bring the moms together again, and what he does, and whether that's a mistake or or not, is you've got to read the story to find out. I it's love kind of the one-off Jackie O prototype and the tragedy resulting in it not going into production. The real, you know. Uh, which is the way collectibles become, you know, for one reason or another, they don't get made many of, or at all, go, don't go into mass production and they're rare later. Mm -hmm. And of course, all this is fiction, by the way, there was no Jackie O, you know, that Barbie. we know of. Well, that's true. <laughs> Maybe there's one that's floating true. around. That's true. That's true. <laughs> she would be Jackie K at the time. Of course we know that. Well, well, but yeah, but we're talking 63 and then, you know, wearing the A-frame dress and the the, yeah. the pillbox hat, the classic uh, Dealey Plaza outfit. Yeah, I was kind of surprised after I after I processed this a little bit more that we don't see more Barbies in these in these kinds of stories because they are kind of creepy and they do go well with the, you know, the blonde that inevitably walks into the private eye's office, right? So I thought it was quite clever to work the Barbie into that because it's it's creepy and it's totally appropriate and it's completely original as far as I could tell. I, I, I've never heard of, of people writing about Barbies, but they fit right into this whole thing. <laughs> and it's something everyone can relate to. Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't play with Barbies. My sisters did. So they were all around the house, whether I liked it or not. I just love the idea of a rare prototype, you know, because I'm <laughs> such a guitar nerd and everything, you know, and cars, you know, you see on Instagram, the, the, what do they call them? The um, project cars or whatever, like mm -hmm. Chrysler and Chevy and everybody used to have these trade show kind of cars that never went into production, you know, and they're like rare, beautiful, exotic things. 
So there are more coming, I guess. We'll see. We hope so. It would be nice. Um, the idea is to see if we can, you know, what kind of attention we get on all of this. And uh, again, we, uh, we've got outlines. It's easy enough to flesh out. So we'll see. By the end of the year, I'll find out what's going on. But if Steven Spielberg gets a hold of Steve's email address, you know, and he, he'll get called for um, his other cinematographer skills into some uh, big project and, and we'll lose him. Oh, no, I want to play with this no matter what. I'll find the time. This is too much fun. I keep hoping my ship will come in. You know, I've only, I'm, I'm sadly, I have to admit I'm mortal. So, you know, I've got X number of days on this planet. That goes for all of us. Mm -hmm. See, there's the, there's the, there's the, there's the neo-noir showing up. Oh yes. I'm acutely aware. Right. <laughs> father yes. time. Yeah. Father time. This thing that we live with, right. That we know from a very young age. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it colors our life. I would say. Yeah. It stands over our life like a huge thunder thundercloud. Well, it casts a longer shadow the older you get. You know, a friend of mine says he he uh, is, suffers from um, TMB. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. What's that? He goes, too many birthdays. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I like that. Uh -huh. Yeah. Too, yeah, exactly. Of yeah. course, the it, option is is worse. Of course. <laughs> not That's enough. the irony, right? <laughs> NEB, not enough birthdays. <laughs> yeah. Need more birthdays. Yeah. Until it's NEB, exactly. Yeah. I also really love this project because it has such a long history, right? That it goes back uh, pretty far. So I wonder if you guys get busy with other things that maybe we won't see the next iteration for you know, another 10 years, but that's kind of cool too, right? That, that it spans such a long period of time and still finds an audience, right? There's something timeless about it. And these. because of what's going on these days between the pandemic and politics, it seems that within the younger crowd, Phil Noir is back is the hip thing mm -hmm. to do. And so is all this lounge music, which is happens to be, that's what the, on the radio side, the podcast side, maybe podcast side is full of as well. And so for that matter here, I'll, I'll do a, I'll do a pitch here. Sorry for the interruption. I'm going to augment Steve's pitch here by inserting a sample of the radio show so that you can get a sense of it. It'll take about a minute and then we'll return to the regular podcast. You got to see it. You got to come and see it. It wouldn't move me in it, done it, I'm telling you. And they're going to get us all if they ain't stopped. What's wrong, Mr. Wilder? It's hard for me to believe that in your line of work, you've never seen pictures of a naked lady. Well, I've seen them, just not of any that were alive and well and leaning on my shoulder and breathing down my neck. Hey there, four eyes. How's the head feel? Felt pretty good to me when I was punching it. Those are worm burgers? 100%. Freshly ground by Jasper this morning. No longer will school children have to remember the name Ponce de Leon. Instead, they'll remember the name Lance Murdoch, the guy who found the real fountain of youth. Oh, my babies! My babies! Oh! This is Web Wilder, last of the full-grown men, Mole Men. The strange story of a crop duster, Mole Men, a worm ranch, and a blonde named Ruby Falls. It's just another case of money, murder, and madness. If anyone wants to hear the, uh, the, the thing with Goober, Lindsay, and Felix Cavallari, and plus there's original music in there too, where, where the guest stars who are, music, who are singers we're not allowed to do their hits. They had to do lounge music. And in between, you get all that great Jim Hoke curated. Oh, never mind stuff. all the Hoke instrumental stuff. Yeah. But um, if they call up their local public radio station and say they want to hear Webb Wilder, Last of the Full Grown Men, uh, they can pick it, the radio station can pick it up at PRX. And if you listen to public radio, you know what PRX is. You yeah. hear all these shows on it. They, they, anyway, they're, they're the distributor. And uh, so it doesn't matter where you are in the U.S. If you've got public radio, you want to hear this, complain to your radio, local public radio station and say, pick it up. And they will, hopefully. Oh, yeah, that's really great. So does Kathy Matea do some lounge music? She does uh, an, an Anne Margaret song. 
Oh, wow. And, and, uh, Webb, you do uh, what a Louis Pri- no, no Louis, Louis Jordan, Louis Jordan, mm-hmm. uh, Blue Light Boogie, and Felix Cavallari does a Louis Prima song. Yes, and uh, Jimmy Griffin does a Bobby Darin song. Oh wow! So great stuff, and and Jonelle Mosser, who plays the femme fatale, uh, does a Peggy Lee song. Oh, excellent! Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's really great. Well, yeah, I'll have to uh, run off and make that phone call or send that email. Because, yeah, this kind of stuff I just think would go over really well. I mean, we, you know, people are consuming so much audio now through podcasts. And then these themes, as I say, are just so attractive, you know, listening to Firesign Theater the way we used to or listening to the radio the way we used to. Yeah, this is really, it's really great. So yeah, congratulations to both of you for this long, very interesting project with so many different facets. Oh, well, thank you. And I apologize for being a disembodied voice with no visuals on this uh, podcast, but um, I'll, I'll have to catch up to the to the 21st century here pretty soon and rectify that situation. No, no, no. You want to stay retro. You want to stay 1940s <laughs> noir. There you go. No one wants Webb Wilder to be up to date. Stay, stay in the dark. That yeah. works well. <laughs> Long, dark shadows. It works yeah. well. That's perfect. You know, I do hear, as I do, since I do the podcast, and I give people an option if they want to be on camera or not. It's amazing how many people choose to not be on camera. And they will often say it's not just them that they don't want to appear on camera, but they also find it distracting. And I mm-hmm. think that is one of the appeals of radio shows and audio only. Gosh, you know, we're so in love with audiobooks right now. This whole thing about having a voice in your head, there's something so intimate and and really attractive about that, right? That you get to focus just on that. Well, and what you're talking about, you know, about people don't want to see themselves, you know, it's distracting to be doing the interview and seeing yourself because, you know, uh, there are people who love looking at themselves in the mirror, but I think they're in the minority. I mean, even Johnny (laughs) Depp claims to have never seen any of his movies. Yeah. How about that? You know? Yeah. Yeah, I I that was so shocking to me. I do uh, training in, in my uh, day job and I was so so and I encourage people to use video to do analysis of various things that they might be working on whether it's public speaking or communication skills, interpersonal skills, presentation skills. But it's very hard psychologically to look at yourself on film. And I was so surprised to learn how many actors don't use video because it's too it's too discouraging. You know, one person said, I I don't want to see how far I missed the mark. You know, it I I'd rather not know because it's just, yeah. So isn't that amazing, right? And maybe that's part of it too, with just sound is it it allows us to focus on something that we really love, you know, music and sound of people's voices. Well, and especially something like a radio play where you can use your imagination mm-hmm. uh, on everything that's going on. In our case, there's not only does it have an original soundtrack and all these famous folks doing the acting, but uh, the, the, the goes along with the, the crazy sound effects that go with it too. Oh. And, and so it is classic 1940s, 1950s, radio except updated theater of the mind as it were theater of the mind thank you very much yes yeah that's a great description theater of the mind right yeah and some of that we see when people read too right that that's one of the things they love about reading is that is what it creates in their mind and so you've you've done it all here right whatever (laughs) however people want to consume you've done it all you've made it available for them it's really cool it's really great Uh, Okay, so before I let you go, is there anything you'd like to share with the audience um, that might be coming up or just things that you want to refer them to? And I'll be delighted to include links to those things, too, in the show notes. Steve, you got some stuff. You got tons of stuff going on. Um, I got a lot of things I can't talk about. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) It's a a secret. (laughs) Well, well, because they're either in production, they're in, you know, anything from I'm being I've signed, you know, ball and chain non-disclosures to uh they're you know the production's not done yet. But I can say this, um two things. I'll mention a couple of things. One is and this just came out last week. Uh, I did this for uh, NYU, New York University, the free uh the First Amendment Watch, which is part of the law uh division there and 
uh, the Free Speech Center at Middle Tennessee State University called me up to do a documentary for them on oh. the first on the First Amendment and the right to record police. In other words, right. the rules, if you're on the street and you want to do photographs or video of the police in action, uh, what you can and cannot do legally. And, uh, and did this half-hour documentary that was meant for universities uh, to find out all these police departments needed it because they didn't know the rules. Mm -hmm. and they were getting in trouble for breaking the rules. And news organizations, the same thing. They didn't know the rules either. Mm -hmm. And so it's worked very well with them. It's, it's, uh, it, it's entertaining as well as extremely informative. It just came out. It's about a half hour long. You can catch it on YouTube oh, uh, nice. over at the Free Speech Center. Uh, if you just go to them, you'll see it on their list uh, as well. And I'm currently in, what am I, about 30, 40 minutes into a 100-minute documentary on Leon Redbone oh, for the wow. Redbone Estate, which has been a lot of fun. I knew Leon back in the day, worked with him a bit. Uh, and, uh, and have been honored to, uh, get the call from the estate to, uh, to, to work on this documentary. So, and it's been, it's been a lot of fun. He's and, also know, a character. Yes. yes. I oh, mean, from yes. what Steve tells me, he was not only, uh, you know, his music and his art was great, but quite a character. Oh yeah. I mean, he, he was a walking, talking fictional character. I mean, even his his name was made up. Everything he had a whole history that was made up, and he lived and died for it. He wouldn't tell you the truth. I mean, the truth really didn't come out until after he died, and even then, wow. is questionable. <laughs> wow, he's still in character after death. When when I first <laughs> I when I first met him, I went to his house. Okay, I'll tell you a quick Leon story. I went to his house in the Poconos. Actually, I stayed overnight there. And uh, drive up to the, the house and he walks out the front door and there he is dressed as Leon Redbone and he's in character and he's talking to me and he's talking to we'll go in the house and we're chatting and he's still in character. And I'm sitting there thinking, when is he going to just be a guy? And we're talking <laughs> and we're talking. And at the time, I was doing some research on Betty Hutton because I had an idea for a movie based on her songs because she had a song called Murder, she, he said. So, and so I had all this information in my head about Betty Hutton. So somehow the conversation got into Betty Hutton. He seemed to be interested in the fact that I knew so, some things he didn't know. After that, he was a regular guy. Oh, you broke him with Betty Hutton. Yeah. Until then he was in character, even in his own home. It was amazing to see. Mm. So yes, he had his tendency to stay in character no matter what. And dust out his own trail on his origins and stuff, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's a phony baloney backstory. And uh, although his real story is even more fascinating, which I'm yeah. not going to go into here. Look for that documentary. I uh, don't know when it'll come out yet. We're still working on it. But uh, what a phenomenal story. And uh, definitely worth checking out when that comes out. Otherwise, yeah, look for the First Amendment uh, uh, Right to Record Police uh, documentary. You can find it on YouTube because it's meant as a teaching tool. So mm -hmm. it, there you go. Oh, and I got to narrate it. There you go. I don't do a lot of that. So that was kind of fun. Didn't expect that. They kind of, I put it in as a rough and they were like, oh, we like it. Stay with it. So there you go. I would rather have hired Webb to do the narration. He's, he's better voice than me. Well, you, you have a beautiful speaking voice though. And so I, I'm not. I was a happy voice for a very sad topic is what it became. So mm. my day-to-day -day activities can be pretty much followed on at, at, at webwilder.com, hmm. which links the Instagram page and the webwilder.official Facebook pages, and uh, of course, WMOT.org is really a great and informative website, and you can listen live to the 24-7 Americana and Roots-driven music and all our special programs and find out about our special live events and stuff. And uh, you can listen live to me in the afternoons, Monday through Friday, uh, and again, early Saturday morning. And we even have a feature called On Demand where you can hear uh, recent past episodes of the chart show. I do the Americana album chart show, the list and other specialty programs. And I've got um, some live dates coming up. We do about once a year, we do a band show in the big room at city winery here in Nashville. I'll be doing a solo show upstairs there on Sunday, June 11th. We're doing a band show at the down home in Johnson city, Tennessee on June 17th. I'll be in Memphis, the holy city of rock and roll, on the 28th of Memphis, doing a solo show at Lafayette's Music Room. 
I'll be uh, doing, you know, various gigs throughout the summer. And uh, I'll be back at the great Fitzgerald's in Chicago in October. And I don't know, I'm working on some recordings. I've got two songs almost finished. Um, and, you know, we're wondering if if really it's all about albums or single tracks or digital only singles. And I think it, the, the answers to all those questions is yes. You can do whatever you want. So we're sort of excited about that. But there, uh, no project is, um, you know, what is the old expression? It ain't final till it's vinyl, even if it's virtual now. So we got it. We haven't released anything new. I we, I did release a pandemic album at the you know worst possible time, of course, April 2020. And uh, that album is called Night Without Love. Oh, yeah. I saw that. Oh, what a great title. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah appropriate for the for those times. Also, one other thing, it, 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 we were talking about all this, and I'd mentioned the first time I met Webb was at something called City Without a Subway. I made a little mini documentary on that, oh, yes. which also won a bunch of uh, international film festival awards. If you go on YouTube, look for City Without a Subway 1986, and you'll see Webb back in the day, plus today, catching up on this, and me, it seems I'm on camera, that's rare. Uh, but that's something... I shot when I first came to Nashville and and again, a pandemic discovering, rediscovering all this stuff and thought, oh. let me catch up with everybody. So you get to see a little bit of Nashville, non-country music history. Mm. Right. Well, again, I it's so wonderful to have the two of you on the show and so inspiring, really, all the things that you're working on and how productive you are and all the different places your interests take you. It's just lovely to to talk to the two of you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having us and lovely speaking with you. Absolutely. Thanks. All right. Take care. You too. Thanks. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to check out the show notes for additional information about this episode. And give us a like or a thumbs up on Podomatic or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'd also love to have your support on Patreon. And get in touch. We'd love to hear from you through the internet or Twitter or whatever means works for you. And finally, thanks to Caffeine Creek for the theme music.